Hello and welcome back to the God Story Podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and today, today I'm back in Palmerston, North New Zealand with the Reverend Ian Reid, uh, the very Reverend Rido of King's Grace Presbyterian Church. And uh, we're back in the Gospel of Mark. Rido, hi. Hi, how are you today, Brent? I'm all right. We've been ticky-touring around the... I shouldn't say that. We've been detouring around the back roads of coming through Bulls and Turakina uh, with, with roadworks. But that's been nice. I've seen parts of the country I've never been on before. Well, it's always exciting. You, you know, kind of regional New Zealand's beautiful, isn't it? Oh, it's gorgeous. Uh, gorgeous back roads and farmlands. And it's really, um, you know, heartland New Zealand, really. And so today we're looking uh, at Mark chapter 9, verses 38 to 50. Now, Rito, this, we both agreed when we talked about this, this is a really difficult, really difficult passage. Yeah, and I, I think I accidentally, in inverted commas, uh, speech marks, I accidentally missed it when I preached through Mark, that I uh, kind of thought, this is, this is a really tricky passage and uh, we need to get on <laughs> with getting through Mark and uh, what am I going to do with this one? Maybe I'll just skip it. <laughs> Yes, I don't blame you, actually. It's a very, very complex passage, and it's hard to get the logic of it, or to discern the logic of it. But anyway, so we're going to give it, um, uh, we're going to give it a go and see how we get on. Now, last time, Ian, we did the Transfiguration and the passages surrounding it. What did we see last time? What we see is Jesus revealed his glory, you know, kind of all of his glory is revealed. And so what we, what we see is um, Jesus, who he really is. He is the Son of God. And we see Moses and Elijah uh, come and uh, speak to Jesus. And we see Peter trying to set up some tents there so they can all hang out. Uh, but what, what we're really seeing is Jesus is on the pathway to his death. And there's actually a prediction there uh, that Jesus is saying, I'm going to die and then I'm going to be raised again on the third day. And the disciples are like, well, what's he talking about? We don't know what he's talking about. But Jesus is clearly setting himself towards Jerusalem here, uh, towards his death. Now, we've got children, um, again, mentioned in, in the passage today, and I think a, a broader mention by the Lord Jesus of, uh, of vulnerable people, vulnerable believers, rather than just specifically children. But how did Jesus introduce the theme of children in the passage last time? So, firstly, uh, we have a boy who uh, is being tormented by a demon. Uh, and who Jesus casts out. Uh, and then in verse 36, we have uh, Jesus taking a child and talking about that child with the believers, mm-hmm. so with, with the um, disciples. Yes, and so we carry on today with uh, verses 38 to 41. Uh, and Jesus has just said, because they've been arguing about which one of them is the greatest, and Jesus said, you need to receive the kingdom like a child and be childlike. Not, not in the sense of being childish, but accepting uh, me and accepting the gospel like children, really, and just um, uh, not grandstanding and not um, seeking power for yourselves. So verse 38, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Now, okay, Rita, what's happening here? Don't know. <laughs> is that helpful? I don't know. No, but we have uh, the disciples again coming and questioning uh, kind of what's going on around us. And this is, I think, this is or something similar has already happened about this, hasn't it? Uh, and earlier on. So what we see here is 
they're kind of trying to understand what what's going on uh, in this new kingdom that's coming. Uh, someone has obviously seen, um, you know, some uh, kind of Jesus perform these miracles and they're kind of imitating that or they've seen the disciples doing that and they're imitating that um hopefully probably in jesus name uh and so they're asking is this okay is this not okay where are the boundaries around around what's going on yes uh what does jesus mean by the one who is not against us is for us it's kind of is it like the you know kind of my enemy's enemy is my ally? But it's it's the positive form of of that you know ne- that negative idea. Uh, but um, isn't it the I I think it's kind of getting at the heart of this is surely you can't do miracles, particularly th- these types of things, without it being done in Jesus' name. And so they are not building Satan's kingdom; they're building my kingdom because they, these great things cannot happen uh, by Satan. They can only happen. Uh, through Jesus. Yes, what does Jesus mean in verse 41 when he talks about the cup of water? Yeah, that's a good one, isn't it? That the kind of this this idea of yeah, you know, a cup of what what do you think? Brent? You well, I I'm wondering, you know, to what extent I mean they they're quite anti these people that are casting out demons in the Lord's name and they've actually tried to stop them because they're not following us. Now, I wonder whether this is a bit to do because this comes straight after the passage where they're talking about which one of them's the greatest. Yeah. I wonder whether this is them trying to just be the in group and the power group and shutting out people who aren't you know, of them, and I think is is the Lord Jesus saying, "Look, don't try and stop people who are doing things in my name. Accept their um, their works graciously, even though they're not part of the the immediate group, because they're doing something in my name, and they will receive a reward for it." Because in verse thirty eight, it's quite telling there at the, at the end of verse thirty eight, because he was not one of us. You know, kind of this idea of we are the in group. Uh, and therefore, you know, you're either in, but or, or you're not in. But isn't that that isn't that the danger that that Jesus has come to set up a kingdom where there's people that are in and there's people that are out? Surely, surely he has in some respect, but not in the same respect that that humans do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that, you know, that that's that's what the Pharisees have been doing. That's what the teachers of the law have been doing. That's what all humans do. That they create these groups of in and out, and often by your works you can kind of see, you know, you're either in or out. But here, um, Jesus is saying, this is not how this new kingdom works. Yes, and so, I wonder, well, that's possible, I think. To, to what extent is this a passage about being gracious then and accepting those whose actions conform to Jesus' character? Because clearly the Lord is going to bless those, presumably even unbelievers, who give a cup of water to Christians. They're going to receive a reward for what they do. Well, yeah, kind of in the, yeah, definitely in the first part that, you know, who are we to kind of say who is in and who is out, right? Isn't that, isn't that part of what, what is being being highlighted here is that we can't point to a particular group of Christians or a particular uh, group of followers and say that group is definitely in or that group is definitely out, that it's bigger than that and it's actually much more complex and nuanced than that. Mm-hmm. I think you're probably right. Uh, let's come on to verses 42 to 50, reading on. This is where it gets really... Um, Tricky, I think. The Lord Jesus continues, whoever causes one of these little ones... Now, presumably, Rito, by little ones, is he, he got the children again. Is he referring just to children? Well, maybe, or is he referring to um, vulnerable believers? Or? Well, verse 36 has, you know, there's a little child there, and that doesn't seem to have stopped. So maybe it's all a part of that, 
mm. that whole discussion. Okay. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, that's Gehenna, isn't it, yep. uh, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Uh, he's speaking figuratively here. He's not being literal, I don't think. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So there we go. So um, what does Jesus mean by uh, to sin or to stumble here or to cause to stumble? Is it literally in Greek to cause to stumble or to cause to fall? I believe so. In verse 42? <laughs> I think so. Yes. Yes. Okay. You've got the Greek. Uh, yes, folks. He's got the Greek in front of him. I'm very impressed. Yeah. So you, you, you're kind of, you are standing as an obstacle kind of in the way, causing some, someone else to, to, uh, to stumble. Yeah. Yes, okay, and so what's the significance of the millstone then? Well, um, you know, the mill, millstone, I was actually looking up millstone recently because I've been preaching through Revelation and, ah, it, yes. and it uses the millstone it in does. Revelation. It does, uh, And because yes. it comes up a couple of times, but particularly is at Revelation 19 where the angel picks up the millstone, you know, a millstone and hurls it on the, on the earth saying, this is what's happened to, to Babylon, it's been destroyed. Uh but the millstone was this huge kind of rock that that you used to um, thresh. Was it th not thresh, but uh, kind of grind up uh, wheat and things like that into into what you get as, as the powder. And so it was quite an important thing, and everyone would know what what that was. Uh, and and what do we ha what do we have here is that the same thing. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. That the idea is that you've, you're bringing someone to sin, uh, and therefore go to hell, it would be better actually for you to die, you know, kind of instead of doing that. Yes, I think, and uh, Babylon the Great, whoever Babylon the Great is or whatever it is, is definitely thrown uh, into the sea. Yeah. So this is a society that, whatever society it is, is a society that hasn't protected children and hasn't protected the vulnerable. Uh, how can we cause another, uh, a child, indeed, if we're taking it literally, or another vulnerable believer to stumble then? How can, how can the church cause a child to stumble or another innocent believer, a vulnerable? Presumably Jesus is talking about the vulnerable in society and in the church, so the mentally ill, the sick, those who are unable to fend for themselves, children, the vulnerable. Well, ultimately it's going to be not treating them in the way that you know, this new kingdom looks like. Uh, and so treating them with the, like the other kingdoms of this world, which is using your power to overtake people rather than using your power to serve people. And so I think, I think that's kind of one of, the, one of the key things here is the causing to stumble, is that you use them, uh, you know, kind of uh, for whatever means you want rather than serve them. Uh, but I think there's also a part of that is then you... You know, one, one way a church can do this is not preach the gospel. You know, kind of that you're not uh, actually telling the truth in terms of what what Jesus is saying and 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 telling them who the, who he really is. 
Yes, and I guess literally, if you take it absolutely literally, uh, child abuse yeah. uh, would be the, the, the thing that immediately comes to mind mm. when the Lord Jesus is speaking. And look at how seriously he takes it yeah. and what he says about it. And yeah. I wonder if yeah. um, you know, kind of people have particular problems with the Old Testament, with Israel coming in and... and uh, when they enter God into the promised land and God kind of goes before them and does the battling for them, that the sin, you know, kind of that that God says, you know, the sin hasn't heaped up yet enough and then it's ready to be heaped up, that that sin is particularly is child abuse and kind of, you know, we're not told what is going on in those societies that God needs to come and judge them. But I do wonder if that is the case in a lot of those places. Well, uh, it's interesting that further on in the passage we get mention of Gehenna, which is uh, the same place as was it the Valley of Hittim, was yeah. it? Which is where um, Ahaz and the other kings of Israel sac- sacrificed children, their own children, to Moloch. Yeah. And I, I think that that's probably what's in the back of the Lord Jesus' mind. It can't be a coincidence that he specifically mentions hell, which is the Gehenna word. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's talking about the abuse of children and other vulnerable people. And we suddenly get this reference back to the Old Testament and to um, what was in effect child sacrifice. Okay, so what does Jesus suggest needs doing if we're causing harm to others or to ourselves? I take it he means we could also be sinning against ourselves there. It's interesting, like 40, 42 and 43 don't seem to kind of uh, flow very easily, do they? But, you know, he, there's some drastic action that needs to take place. Um, I think, it's, as you said, I think it's figurative, uh, but the idea is that sin is so pervasive and so offensive to God that you need to cut it out of your life. Uh, so much so that you w- you would be willing to cut your hand off, you know, kind of to do that. He's not saying go cut your hand off. It's, it's hyperbole here. Um, but the idea that, that sin is what is keeping you from having a relationship with God because it is so offensive to him. So uh, I think you've already answered this, but how does Jesus suggest we deal with our sin then, either our personal sin or our sin towards the vulnerable or to children as a church and as individuals? It's got to be cut out ultimately, doesn't it? And so, and that needs to be exposed. That's one of the things that, that I try constantly pray is, Lord, expose my sin, even the sin that I'm unaware of. And I know that's not going to be nice uh, when he does that, but I know it's going to be good for me and for others around me. Mm. This, the last part of this is, is quite puzzling, uh, Rito, isn't it? Now, the Lord Jesus says in verse 49, for everyone will be salted with fire. So we go suddenly from talking about getting rid of sin and the danger of hell and punishment for those who commit sin against children and, and the vulnerable in the church and society. And then he says, for everyone will be salted with fire. Now, how is everyone salted with fire? Yeah, how, does that, how do they, those two images work together is a question. Is it is it about the passing through fire, so the um, the refiningness that kind of happens with fire? I'm not sure what, how, what's the salted part of that. Well, you think? Uh, I think that's partly true, and I think if you go back to the temple system, I think it was was it the grain offerings had to be given with salt. It was one of the offerings, and so the salt was placed on the fire with the offering, and so and and then of course I think. Also, Paul picks up on this imagery when he talks about the fact that we're living sacrifices, Mm. that the very act of walking with the Lord Jesus means that it will be like a purification process. It will be like a baptism of fire. There will be tribulation. We will be put through the fire, again, symbolically speaking. So, yeah, I think that's part of it. Following Jesus is to be a refining process. 
because it is it, 50 is interesting sorry verse 50 is interesting is that that um, salt is good but if it loses its saltiness how can you make it salt again have salt in your lives and be at peace with each other what's the salt that he's referring to there well I, th- I think probably that's a bit like the salt in the beatitudes you know the passage in Matthew uh, 5 to 7 where he talks about uh, that Christians should be should be salt and light mm. and the idea of the salt is that it seasons things that we are the, the the salt we're like the yeast we're the things that form a society and a community so we have to exercise our saltiness that is we have to exercise our influence but it's interesting when I when I taught a pass- when I taught this passage in our Bible study years ago, uh, I did some work on it, and salt was also a symbol for wisdom mm. in the Old Testament and in the Jewish world. And so it could be also that Jesus is talking about have wisdom in yourselves and use your wisdom to um, run, you know, to, to influence and do good. Isn't it? That, that often doesn't bring peace with others. You know, when you, when you are that salt, you know, you're often the one saying, oh, let's, not go, let's not go in this direction or let's, have we, let's think about it this way or whatever it is. You're often, the, you know, even, even the wise person is often doing that. You know, the wisdom is often how you do that, you know, kind of as well. Um, that, you know, having that salt often, you can see people's decisions where it's going to lead to destruction. <laughs> And then you you kind of say, hey, have you thought about this or thought about that? Um, often it doesn't always lead to peace, though, does it? No, but I guess that's true. But I guess he's also talking here too about self-sacrifice, isn't he? That, that he, this passage about um, being salted with five, of being of acting sacrificially towards others. This is what the disciples weren't doing yeah. in the context of this passage. They're talking about who's going to be the greatest. So they're not. They're not. They don't understand self-sacrifice. They're not being self-sacrificing. And I think this this whole, it's a bit of a hard image to get at, but behind it is this idea of being a sacrifice, uh, symbolically speaking, of exercising wisdom, uh, of uh, exercising influence in society, but also of, be, of being uh, this being self-sacrificing, mm-hmm. which I suppose promotes peace in the church, because if you're not constantly seeking your own position, and as it were, seeing yourself a second to others and serving others, then it does promote peace ultimately. I don't know. Yeah, so you think that, yeah, you kind of, and when you do provide, you know, kind of say to people, you know, kind of, hey, you know, you confront someone over their sin or, what, you know, whatever it is, or destructiveness in their life, that if when you do it in a self-sacrificial way, sure, they may be angry at you and they, and they may cut off, you know some some of that relationship but often it it, over time when they see that you're not over you know you're not just trying to destroy them they you actually want their good they usually do come back and kind of say okay you know even though it's taken time you know there there is a piece that reforms kind of around that as well isn't there yes i know that's the best i can do with this passage um rita we both sat and prayed about it and, and looked at the commentaries and so forth one last question why does jesus use such shocking imagery in this passage, it really is full on, isn't it? Yeah, and people often say, you know, kind of, I, I, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. I just, I like Jesus, though. But Jesus is the one who's always talking, <laughs> talking most about hell, isn't he? Um, you couldn't, I would have thought, get anything stronger than the words the Lord Jesus uses in this passage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it is probably the most offensive um, kind of thing that Jesus says, isn't it? That these, these kind of things. So your question was why does why? Well, I'm just it? wondering why why um, yes why he uses such I'm going to use the word shocking because it is shocking language really. But I think the context that he's talking to he's talking to the disciples who are about to become the apostles uh, that they need to get this 
that the, they need to get the seriousness of sin, they need to get the seriousness of self-serving, and that that how bad that is, and that you need to be self-sacrificial, uh, and that's what this kingdom is about. Jesus has, has frustratingly, as you work your way through Mark, you're just like, how come these disciples do not get it? But, but they will be transformed in time, uh, and they will they will be models of of that. Uh, but um, that that will take time, and that. that I think Jesus is saying these things because of the seriousness of what, what is about to happen to him and what's going to happen to them eventually as well. Yes, and I think also that this whole idea with the, uh, the children and, and really it struck me doing these last few podcasts with you how strongly the, the Lord Jesus speaks and feels about children uh, and how he, and the vulnerable and those who are mentally ill and those who are, as I say, um, who are often tossed aside or, or considered to be of no consequence. He really is putting children and the vulnerable at the front of the kingdom and saying, you have to look after these people. And if you don't look after these people and you cause them to stumble and fall through your actions, through um, abuse or whatever, uh, or not looking after them, then there will be judgment, there will be hell, and there will be punishment. And I think you see that with... Um, Babylon the Great in Revelation, which uh, picks up this imagery of the of the millstone and is just destroyed by God, because it hasn't been a society that's cared for and promoted the well-being of children and the vulnerable. Yeah, and that that's a story of pretty much every every culture, every society outside of ones that have been influenced by, well, by the gospel. I, well, I think that's right, and I think that's where you see the contrast between uh, the Christian culture that developed in the early church and Rome. You look at someone like Herod, we've just seen him, basically he's a paedophile. Yeah. There's no other word to put on Herod. He, this Herod is a paedophile. And incestuous. And, well. and, he's, and he's, yeah, he's into incest. So you can't get a greater contrast with the, with the values that Jesus is promoting here and the, this very, very, very strong language that he uses to say you are not going to be like these pagan Gentile cultures that have abused young people and children and th- thrown they use in Rome they used to throw unwanted children on the rubbish tip yeah and isn't yeah. That, that that's what ultimately wins over the the Roman Empire it's not it's not power it's actually sacrifice that ultimately wins over the the Roman Empire because you know it's hospitality it's welcoming people into your home but it's more than that is that going and rescuing babies from the rubbish tip and raising them as your own children it's you know when when pandemics went through the the Roman world it was going and helping people that were dying in the in the street and and looking after them and caring for them even at your own cost you know in terms of your own life at at times um you know I was talking to a guy who's a classics lecturer and he was saying that if you did business, you would want to do business with a Christian because you knew that they weren't going to, going to uh, kind of turn around and, and find some way way of cheating you. And so what ended up happening was on the lower levels, they won the Christians, the, the, the small Christian communities, won people over because of their relationships with people, which is just, it's bizarre, isn't it? It's, yeah. It actually was the stuff down the bottom, the self-sacrificial stuff, which won people over. So when they were called... When the Roman Empire was called to persecution, it was the people down the bottom didn't want to do that because they they liked those around them. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? And that's exactly what uh, the contrast that Jesus is bringing out in this passage. Anyway, um, Rito, I think we've done our best with it. <laughs> 
it's it's a tricky passage. Uh, so um, thank you once again for your time, uh, the Reverend Ian Reed Rido of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston, North New Zealand. And thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Liquid Edge Creative, who sponsor this podcast and who take care of things behind the scenes. Ian, thank you once again. Thanks, Brian. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.